0: Hey, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Today, I have another special guest for you. I'm actually really excited to introduce you to today's guest. And Dr. Carla Manley has her own story about how she came to be doing what she's doing today, and it was not a direct path. So I'm going to ask her to share some of that with you. But she has also written a book called Joy from Fear. And what I love about that, and for those of you who either have been with listening to the podcast for a long time or know the work and the whole philosophy around going after what you want, you can't do it if you're constantly and afraid to be or even unwilling to be uncomfortable and stretch. But she has some very interesting Things to share with us, and also about how to change our relationships to or with fear so that we can actually move into who we truly are. And what I love is to bring more light into the world. So, with that as a very brief introduction, Dr. Carla, can I call you Carla or Dr. May? Please,
1: Carla. All my my clients call me Carla.
0: Okay, good. Well, then there we go. We're going to start with that. Would you share a little bit more about yourself?
1: Absolutely. I was raised um, in a family of 10 kids. I was the ninth child. It, Roman Catholic um, is the way I was raised. And what I learned as a child really followed me through life, which is basically children are to be seen and not heard and um, be a good, good girl. And I took that to heart. Right, And so as I evolved and was asked in third grade, what do you want to be when you grow up, something in me said, I want to be a therapist, I want to be a psychologist, I want to be like Lucy in Charlie Brown, having a little shop where I could dispense advice. So something in me knew at that really basic level that I was meant to help people. But unfortunately for me, I tested really high on intelligence tests. As kind of off the charts. And so my family would say, Oh, no, you don't want to do that. You want to be an attorney, you want to work in the business realm, you this is what you should do. And so being the good, dutiful daughter, I set my sights on that path and left college and enrolled in law school, which it Hastings and in, in um, San Francisco, and realized really early in, my body actually told me my body said, you are not going to eat, you are, you are, Time out, lady. And so I became really anorexic and ooh, perfect opportunity. I got to drop out of law school. Of course, I wasn't doing it consciously, but it was my body was smarter than my brain was. So I, much to my father's dismay, enrolled in a master's program, got my master's in counseling and was persuaded because of a turn of events to go to work in an industry, which was investment, business investment. And I'm a very good business mind. And so I abandoned And so that I could take care of my children and take care of the husband I had selected, I chose to stay in the business realm and did a really good job amassing money for other people and and being a really good employee and and continue to work my way up the ladder, doing everything right. One day I woke up, more than one day, and said, this is not worth it. And so at 40, I said to my husband, honey, I've supported you through so much and you've been able to dilly-dally and I've been able to take care of you, but I want to go back to school to get my doctorate. And he said the not very smart thing to say to me when I rarely made demands. He said, no, you have enough education. And so something in me went, oh, that doesn't sit right. Long story short, and this is a piece I was about to tell you, I've never shared this before, but I'll share it with you and your listeners. I decided to take a little bit of time out for myself as I tried to figure out what to do. Was I going to really go for the career of my dreams, which was to be a psychologist? And who does that at the old age of 40? Like, really, who revamps their life? And so I decided to do something I hadn't done in 20 years, which was to take a time out for myself. So I took a a psychology course. I took a, a course at our local junior college in photography. And the instructor was really pushing us beyond our limits. And it was black and white film. And I would just spend, I loved it. But they asked us to do a self-portrait. And what I did, which I still can't believe I did it, I did a series of nudes. And the nudes were of me looking desperately unhappy. The series was showing me full leather jacket, fancy car behind me, and then slowly dismantling until the woman at the very end of the display was completely naked, And I had put blood running from my heart and meaning, because we were talking about bleeding, if you're in corporate and you're bleeding, it might sound dramatic, but it feels like blood. It feels like you're losing your life. And when I had the courage to present that as my final in the class, right, I realized that I didn't want to be that woman. I was not going to bleed. I wasn't going to bleed for anyone. And wow, so I'm sharing this story. It's very personal, very, very, very personal. But what I realized in the course of that, too, was that I was not doing, I made a big deal about how important my children were to me. And I realized that I was a terrible role model, as amazing and strong, as tough as I thought I was. I was a terrible role model. I was not walking my talk. Here I was telling my two beautiful young boys live your passion, live your dreams. And here I was living a woman with a heart that was bleeding my life blood out. And so that was my awakening. And so I went back to school, left the marriage, got a lot of disapproval from everyone who thought I had the perfect life, but they didn't know the interior world. They didn't know how toxic and decayed it was. And I moved on with my life, took lots of risks, Went back to school, was working full time, doing my doctorate, all my coursework in the evenings and the weekends. And I earned my doctorate, found my people for the first time in my life. I found people that were my lifeblood, my family in doctoral school. I was like, oh, there are people who think like me. I'm not crazy. I'm not, because I was always kind of walking around of my favorite books as a kid was the book, um, Are You My Mother? I don't know <laughs> if you remember
0: that book. I do.
1: And that was, and that was my book. I was like, oh, it's because I was... I was just not meant for that family. But when I met fellow doctoral students who are very insight-oriented and very psychologically-minded, I was like, oh, I'm not as weird as I thought I was. It's not weird that I don't want to be an attorney and not weird that I don't get kicks out of million dollar properties and doing this and doing no what I get kicks out of is having a soul-to-soul conversation with somebody what I get a kick out of is watching a woman or a man in my office do the work that must be done to transform their lives there's no price tag on that you know yeah I don't care what kind of car you drive I don't care what kind of house you have I care about your internal house I care about so that is how so then where does the book joy from fear come from As I realized all this about my life now, let's say I'm 40, 44 or something, I realized what was it? I always thought I was so tough and so strong. What was it that kept me stuck for so long? So as part of my dissertation, I decided to investigate fear and I did a qualitative and quantitative, came up with my own questionnaires, type A personality, right? (laughs) Of course. Um, I did, of course. (laughs) And I did the research over, it was close to 800, actually more, by the time I finished, over 1,000 research participants finding out how does fear impact people? And what I found, the results essentially showed, and it's no surprise really, that the more immobilized you are by fear, the less out of touch you are with fear, that the less life satisfaction you have, and the lower your, your level of fulfillment and you higher your level of feeling stuck immobilized anxious depressed the better your relationship with fear the more you understand that it has positive messages the more you embrace it the more you realize hey it's just it's okay to be uncomfortable it's okay Uncom- discomfort is just a sign that you're in unknown territory yeah. isn't that a cool place to be isn't the unknown the place where we grow? And so what I found, I thought, okay, this makes sense. And so I started writing Joy from Fear about eight years ago and then took a break because life got really busy. Then I went back to read it. It was abysmal. It was written so in such an academic fashion. I thought, oh, I wouldn't want to pick this up. Ugh, perish the thought, right? So I revamped it and just came from my heart and let you know, the divine, whatever you want to call it, channel, I didn't use my brain as much as I used my heart. And I used client experiences, I wove in some of my own personal journey. And then, Sarah, I did what I wished I had had, I wished that somebody had given me a guidebook that I could follow so that my journey wasn't so tough and challenging and heart wrenching. And so I wove lots of exercises through it so that for people who can't afford therapy or like working with groups, so that people could really grab a hold of the book and understand how to embrace fear in order to create the life they want, the fulfilling, passion-filled, incredible life they want.
0: So, okay, that was... I have like four or five different like lists of questions about what you talked about, and I'm not going to cover them all because I've just had this constantly. My mind is curious about things, but I wanted to ask you briefly to go back to like when you were a little kid and you, you, knew, you knew you wanted to be in what you're now doing, right? Do you think most children have that knowing? Yes,
1: I do. And it's, it's not, I can't claim rights to the idea. There is a book by James Hillman and Michael Ventura that starts off with, we have a hundred years of psychotherapy. Why is the world still such a mess? Something like that. (laughs) And I remember Thomas Moore, who is one of my gurus. I just think the world of him. He was my dissertation advisor. And he had me read that book as he had me read a lot of things. Um, He's such a blessing. And in that book, James Hillman, I believe, talks about the idea of us having an acorn when we are are little. And I really took that to heart. So I've been this acorn idea. For example, a man, this was one of his stories who as as a youngster would hide beneath his mother's long skirts. And I think he lived in Spain. He would hide and hide in his mother's. And he grew up to be a bullfighter. It was as if his psyche was preparing him to come outside of the cave. And be brave, right? And so he gives stories. But then I really started looking for that because when something intrigues me, and I see it with many of my clients, that people have this little inkling of what they want to do. And then we're socialized away from it. That unlike you, where your mom would say, hey, sounds good. Most of us are told, girls don't do that. Boys don't do that. Good people don't do that. Oh, you won't make enough money there. What you really should do is this. What you really need, and I have client stories, yards of them, where women and men, but particularly women, would go into engineering careers because it's what their mother wanted or it's what their father thought they should do. And it's the way the mother would have comfort in her old age knowing her daughter was making enough money, or the father. And it's terrible how these women who, one of them is going into quilting full time leaving engineering another one is going into sewing full-time because it's what where the passion is so yes they were doing these career paths for other people but I believe that most of my clients when they get down to it that there is some inner message something in childhood saying you know what your light's really going to shine if you do this your light's really going to shine
0: I think about that when you talk about being one of 10 kids too, and if you've got a strong family tradition and, you know, a lot of families have the family business, whatever that is, right. It could be in an industry. It could, they could own a big business and it can be really tough for kids who they know that's not them to just say, I'm, you know, I'm out. Mm -hmm. Because then there's the whole leaving your people, so to speak. So I loved when you talk about getting to grad school and you found your people. So How often is that something when you're working with folks that they feel disenfranchised not only from themselves, but from people like them that they resonate with?
1: I think it's so common, Sarah. I think it's one of the key things that happens with people day in and day out. And I talk about it in Joy from Fear about the toxic voice of comparison, that all too often we are consciously or because it's how we're raised you need to be as good as your little brother you need to be as smart as your older sister right you need to be as we need to be as good as the joneses next door instead of saying which is what i believe in which was the message i gave my kids when they were young i just wasn't living it that hey when you follow your passion when you follow your dream i don't care if you're the world's i would tell them this i don't care if you're the world's best garbage man i don't care if you're a painter i don't care if you're a Carpenter, do it and be happy at it. And when you're doing it and you're happy at it, the world will reward you because that's how it works. When we are doing our best and filled with love and passion, we are that light. And so I think that so many times people are trying to be something they're not because of family expectations or self expectations. And as I told one of my clients who never let me forget it, I said, the world doesn't need one more unhappy doctor, right? The world does not need one more grade school teacher who's there just because the retirement's good.
0: Boy, and oftentimes that's what I hear people say. It's like, well, but my wages are good and I can count on this. And I'm not negating the fact that you need, especially if you're trying to be independent, you do want to take care of yourself. But there comes a cost To that, to us, and how our health, I mean, much like you said, you go to law school and your body says you're done.
1: Oh, did it ever?
0: Right. So, we're not smart enough to listen, but other things, if we pay attention, will tell us something's off. So, how, like, so someone's listening to you today in our conversation, and they're going, Yeah, I wonder if that's where I am. What would be some of the signs that someone is maybe not in alignment with themselves? And then I want you to talk a little bit about how we can make have a different relationship with fear in general.
1: Okay. How to tell if you're not in alignment. I think that the best way I can describe it, Sarah, is I people ask me, what is joy? What is joy? And I think alignment, when we are aligned, we are in a joyful place. Because we have five, the way, the paradigm I use is the five basic emotions of anger fear sadness disgust and joy and they all serve a purpose and joy is the what we call the positive one even though the other ones are positive in their own ways but the way i look at joy and they all have a root purpose the reason we have those emotions is if you look at anger on a really primitive basis, why is it there? Well, I'll use examples of mother in all of these. Because if somebody comes to steal my newborn baby, I'm going to be angry, right? So anger has a purpose. Fear. Why is fear there? Well, if somebody's coming into my cave and I'm nursing my newborn baby, I better be afraid, right? I have to prepare for that. Disgust. Well, if I'm eating and I pick a bad mushroom or a bad berry and I start, ugh, disgust serves a purpose. Sadness. My baby is screaming and crying and not feeling well and might be on the verge of dying. So I'm sad. Okay, so those all make sense. Joy. Why joy? Because I never would have the kid in the first place if it didn't give me some joy. Right? True. True story. True story, right? God give me that cute little smile now and again in order for me to kiss its pretty little face and go, I'm so glad you're here, right? So joy, I believe we all come into the world with joy. This, what I call a light in a clear votive. And what happens, we all have that little flickering internal joy. And then as we have negative life experiences and we're socialized, into ways that make us angry or sad or traumatized, we get more and more soot. More and more soot so that we don't sense our joy anymore. We don't. We are so out of alignment because we're living by shoulds and you musts and you can'ts that we get all of this crappy soot so we don't feel our light anymore. We don't see our light anymore. Thus, getting back to your question, out of alignment. So people get sad, they get anxious, they're depressed, they're chronically stressed. So how do you, if you feel like your joy is dimmed, you're out of alignment. It means that you need a time out to really slow it down, maybe getting support, maybe going to a woman's group or a men's group or a psychotherapist, maybe taking a really long vacation to some journaling something to figure out how can you start wiping off that. And then people say, well, I've had clients tell me, I don't know what joy is. I do not know what joy is. I've been so miserable for so long. I said, okay, your assignment before you see me next time is to notice everything that brings you joy, everything. I don't care how small it is. And so people come back with me. One lady says, I saved a lizard on a walk and it made me really smile. Somebody else came back and said, I was picking up trash and I realized it makes me happier. And before I knew it, my neighborhood was looking better because then people were littering less, either that or everybody's seeing me and cleaning up trash. Some people will say, I've noticed I really enjoy doing like a phone chat with my girlfriends. That gives me joy. And so I say, now you want to do more of that. You tell me you want work-life balance. Well, if you're doing 99% of what makes you miserable and 1% of what, Makes you joyful. We need to get more of those moments of joy in life. And so, as you keep that image of the votive and constantly wiping off the candle, and noticing when you're doing something that's making you miserable, and saying to yourself, "Is this worth it? Is this what I want? My time here is so limited." And it doesn't mean that we have a hundred percent of every day. You know, as a psychologist, as an author, right? times where I'm doing things that like don't make me dance in circles. Uh, you know, I'm going through a manuscript for the 50th time. So this doesn't feel great. But I keep my eye on the ball and say, well, this is a necessary part. This, this five days worth of pain <laughs> actually feels good if I remember that I'm feeding, feeding the baby of my book. So I think that's the best. So if you're out of alignment, you won't feel joyful. No amount of spending, people think if I spend more, if I have more sex, if I have a fancier car, if I do this, do that. No, those are all fleeting.
0: Well, I love what you said about just like noticing something that, and then people came back and all the examples you gave were very different from one another. But, and I was recently, I, on a, I can't remember because I take a lot of input in um, well, I walk, which is one of the things that it's like, you can't take my walk time away. <laughs> Unless it's freezing oh, cold. Yeah. If it's freezing cold, I'm a little bit of a wuss. I'm like, oh, but um, with the wind chill. Otherwise, I'm out there. But part of it is, one of the comments this guy made was he says, it doesn't have to be big. Just look at something. Just find one something right now, and I'm thinking, well, oh, I love the color green. And the, but the minute you say something like, I love that or I love that, it's like pretty soon it's this trickle thing. It just keeps going. Oh man, look at their yard! How cool is that? You know, and people start waving at you. <laughs> You're thinking because your energy is different.
1: Your energy is yep. different, and I'm like you. If I have an addiction in life, it's to my walking. A day without a walk is just
0: it's not a good day.
1: No, it's it's a place to ground. It's a place sometimes I'll put my earbuds in, but I think 90% of the time I don't have anything going. It's just they're in.
0: I don't know why I do it, but it's, you know, they're there. Well, this is a weird question. And so listeners, just bear with me. You know, sometimes I go left on you. But do you ever find by just having earbuds in, not for the purpose of dissuading people from interacting with you, but there's something about it muffles the outside noise just enough. It doesn't deaden it, but it muffles it just enough that things calm down. At least for me, I start going, oh yeah, I don't need to be worried about anything else.
1: Yeah. There's something, you're right, because I don't do it. People still talk to me, right? And I just put the earbud out. So, you know, it's it's still, hi, right? But I think you're right. There's something comforting about it. I May mean, maybe it's reminiscent, I grew up back east, so maybe it's reminiscent of having earmuffs on in the
0: winter. Oh, could be, could but be. It's just a little bit of a cocoon. Yeah, I like that feeling. Yeah. Cocoon. Okay, we'll come back to you. <laughs> it's just, you made me think about that, so I just thought I'd ask. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Over the course of this podcast, we've been pretty intentional about not using advertising so that we can bring you nothing but inspirational stories. But today, for the first time, I wanted to share with you that there are two opportunities coming up. If you've been considering finding a coach, now's the time to review the six-week Strategic Vision Achievers mini-course or the 12-week intensive course. Find out more information about visiting saraboxcom forward slash coaching or shoot me an email at sarah at Put in six week or 12 week coaching, and I'll follow up with you. Thanks. And let's get back to the podcast. So, talk about how we can change our relationship with fear. And, you know, in some of the things I've read from you, you talk about how if we're running away from fear, we are actually heading in the wrong direction. So, talk a bit about that and how we can all more boldly embrace our discomfort and fear.
1: Okay. So the way I deconstructed fear, first I have to say there's a rational type of fear that we all want. That's the fear of, you know, the fire, the wildfires coming over the mountain, right? That's the fear of the car running out of gas when it's on EE, right? They're keep us safe, right? So that's rational fear. However, a huge part of our lives are run by what I call destructive fear. And that's the fear that runs around like little termites in the brain, the fear that says you're not good enough, the fear that says if you do this, your family will hate you. If you do this, you'll be ostracized. If you don't look this way, if you don't dress this way, if you don't drive this car then, if you don't, you know, volunteer for the 27th time this week, you're not a good person. All of these things, that is destructive at work, because it is a contingent. It's always reminding you that life is fragile and that you are your behaviors. You're sitting on this sort of precipice that if you don't make the right decision, you're a bad person or you're unlovable or you're not safe, something like that. So that's destructive fear. The next part is what I call the other face of fear. It's what I call constructive fear, that every single fear we have, if we pause and not run from it, or compartmentalize it, or ignore it. That if we listen to the other side, there is a voice that will say, "You are beautiful. You are amazing. You are a good person inside, and you can do whatever it is that gives you joy. You have that power." And so, by feeding that voice, noticing that voice, and I'm really generalizing because right, each right. of you have a message that we would go into really deeply on the constructive side. So some people can make it to the constructive voice and say, okay, yeah, I get that. I get that if I leave my corporate job that my wife won't hate me and that I'll still be valuable and that would probably have a better quality of life if I did, you know, something that I'm more passionate about. Yeah, we might have to tighten our belts a little bit, but it would be worth it because we'd be happy. So that's but then they don't do it. They don't do it because fear stops them right so then here's the beauty this is the third segment of what i call transformational fear that whenever we look and notice the just look at and notice the destructive fear that's the first step becoming aware you can never unknow that again you will always know that now you know that that's fear talking to you then if you take the constructive fear and really listen to it and believe it and have faith and then you do the third part which is action transformational fear requires action and that's the part that gets really scary because that's being uncomfortable that is so i don't tell people we'll leave the corporate job or you know leave the the, the toxic marriage you know tomorrow morning don't make any plans just trust the universe well no i don't think the universe worked quite that that way people come into my office and they say well i've been thinking about this and it's supposed to manifest You know, I'm manifesting things. And I said, well, that's interesting. Manifesting isn't magic. Manifest means you create the vision and then you do the work that's done. And you have the awareness because if you don't do the work, the universe isn't going to come and take you from behind your desk or off your couch. No, you have to do the work. And that's how it manifests.
0: Stand up, show up and get up. Get going.
1: Yeah, that's the process with how to embrace fear is it's the being willing to see how destructive it is to look at where you are stuck immobilized unhappy feeling less than feeling paralyzed feeling like you are bleeding then being willing to envision what your passions are and what your truth is inside because inside each of us is an incredible light that is unlike anybody else's and then doing the work which is the transformation that must be done in order to and me one of the reasons i I like to believe in karma is a little bit selfish because i don't want to come back on this planet and have to redo anything again (laughs) right and if i look at karma like let me get this stuff out of the way now Let me face my fears this time. Then maybe next time
0: I'll have it easy. Well, the fun thing about facing one fear, fun, fun may be the wrong word, but we'll go with it. The fun thing about getting through or facing a fear and on the opposite side of it, this is not a life-threatening thing, but just a normal life thing. On the opposite side of it, you look back and it never was as tall or scary as you thought it was on the one side. But you never go back to being as small as you were on the other side either. It's like, been there? It's not that tough. And so when people say, how can you do that? You're thinking, I don't know. You just do it. Because you that's your new normal now. Right? Oh, so, absolutely. So, but there will always be something that makes a stretch, no matter how competent you are somewhere else. Anytime you go into something unknown, you're not going to be the sharpest knife in the drawer, the most competent person because it's new to you
1: and you know that's the really beautiful part about what you just said is you're never going to be the sharpest knife in the drawer the most confident person you know what i found sarah is that when i am humble and honest about where i'm inept that you know hey i'm new at this right that that alone builds self-esteem because self-esteem is about being able to say, and me, I'm acutely aware that I will never know everything. That the, as soon as I learn something, science has found out something new that outdates what I knew a week ago. Right, and so when I go into things with humility and, and curiosity, and I learn so much from my clients. Yes, I'm their guide. Yes, I'm their teacher. Yet. They are teaching me because I have to up level myself and my work to continue right, and so I'm acutely aware that I can still have really strong self esteem and be in a in i have much stronger self esteem because of my humility
0: right being so, in a learning mode, at, in a cute yeah, mode learning beginner's mind absolutely <clears throat> I had a boss when I was in my i was probably in my mid twenties I would say was one of a pivotal person in my life, and he, an, an unsuspecting kind of like your thing, and he's a boss, you know. But I remember one time, he said, "I need you to learn how to do this," and I said, "Why?" And he says, "Because I need." He says, "Because you're better at I am than I am in some of this." He goes, "But I want out of here," and like he didn't want to run away, but he says, "I need flexibility," and he says, "I was always been told, and I tell you now." hang out with people smarter than you, and make sure you surround yourself with them. Your job's not to be the best person or the smartest. It's to have really good people so you can accomplish really great things. And I thought, and he was really accomplished. I'm thinking, okay, I because I respect you and I know what you can do, and that's your philosophy is you don't have to be the smartest. You have to bring out the best in others and hope they're smarter than you and don't be afraid to have smart people around you it opened up a different way of looking at things for Mm -hmm. me. And I thought, wow, many years later too, it really helped me It's like, hey, my job isn't to be the best, it's to help bring out the best in us to get us, the people, my people, whoever, you know, so yeah. And the whole comparison thing, I remember as a middle kid, as I was telling you too, it's like I had an older, I had brothers and sisters on either side of me, but I remember going to school and not liking to be compared because it's like, well, this brother, or we also had a lot of cousins. So you had the same last name. People thought you were on the same family. But, oh, yeah, you're so-and-so's sister. They're really smart. Or you're so-and-so's brother. They're a troublemaker. And I'm thinking, oh, no, that's my cousin. I made it up right now. That'd be my cousin. <laughs> I'm not them. But the whole thing about comparing and using that can really separate people. and. I think that divisiveness help pulls us apart, too, from being able to just be who we are sometimes.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I call it literally the toxic voice of comparison, because it's one thing to look at another person and say, oh, you know, what a beautiful project they did. I I love that. I'd like some of that color in my own home or my own project, right? But to look at someone and say, I'm better than you or I'm worse than you, there's no benefit to that. And you're right, it is so divisive because instead of us, instead of it bringing us together to where we up-level each other in a kind and beautiful way. And it's something that's really happened with women that I really see women have increasingly become hyper-competitive with each other, where it means back-talking or backstabbing instead of... And I found this, Sarah, actually in my doctoral program. I would help other people with projects, and happily so. And some classmates would say, why are you doing that? We're competing with each other. I'm thinking, I'm not competing with anybody. What's the competition about? You know, we're all gonna get our degrees as long, you know, as long as we keep forging ahead. And that's how I look at it, that it's better, at least for me, for my ideology, to be loving and supportive. I'm not in competition with anyone. It's why? Isn't that exhausting?
0: It's exhausting, but it also says something about having a scarcity mindset that there's not enough for everybody, and there actually is. And I think the more that we create together, which is also just my viewpoint, but the more that we create together that's good, the more there exists for everybody.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And beauty breeds beauty. Kindness breeds kindness, positivity, collaboration. It all works together. And when we start feeding on negativity and competition, that's what it breeds. And it's toxic. Talking about adding, you know, taking away from the joy votive and adding, you know, grunge to it. That's absolutely what
0: happens. So here, this is my little brain going back to something you said about your art project when you did your um, photography course When you were saying that, I was so interested in how here you were, you'd already been identified as kind of off the charts intellectually, you know, and you started law school, figured that out, you were doing finance, but what really helped you be connect to you was something that didn't have words or analytics. I mean, it had expression. Mm -hmm. Was that, had you done art before or was that photography a new um, avenue for you? I
1: had done a little a little bit of art, you know, one photography class actually in college, but it was very much focused on buildings for some reason down in San Diego. So no, in my family, being an artist was not something that was was prized, you know, it was just not, my dad blessed my parents' hearts, they were both from immigrant parents, and so to them, giving us an education and having a family of doctors, lawyers, accountants, you know, was like the end all be all, so they did a great job in that realm, but what they didn't understand was that there was a lot of self-sacrifices self sacrifice involved but the creative spirit the creative energy one of the biggest homework assignments i give to my clients is to do free journaling because when we do free association journaling and they're not allowed to look at it because then the critical mind comes in and the critical mind says oh you didn't capitalize that you
0: know that you <laughs> and where's your comma where's the comma exactly right that was my mind oh, that's me or isn't that a semicolon that's a run on sentence <laughs>
1: So no, the idea is, hey, do the journaling, get it out of your system. And so you're right, that creative moment, I could not unsee those pictures. I could not explain where did I even get fake blood to have running down my chest? I don't even remember. But I was my psyche knew. It was so much smarter. And we sometimes, in fact, I was working with a client yesterday and I said, I don't want you thinking between now and the next time I see you. You're not allowed to think, no analyzing. I want you just to work with breathing because she overthinks things to the point where she gets paralyzed. And so there are times where we do need to slow it down, get creative, whether that means walking, journaling, playing with Play-Doh, you know, I don't care, but just turning the mind off because the psyche does not like to be analyzed. It really doesn't.
0: Well, I could just visualize those images, and I thought, how powerful is that? And that did not come from a place of mapping out, you know, that just, you could tell as you were relating it, that it came from an interior place within you who knew better than what you could mentally construct. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that, because I thought that was pretty cool.
1: It is, it is, you know, you really, and sharing it publicly, right, is something that and I can see the images in my mind of this, you know, woman just going bleeding and saying, "Here I am, and my arms are facing the camera." And I just, I can see it. I look so woebegone, and so. And I loved our conversation beforehand, where you said, which is what sparked memory, the part of people think they have all this success, these beautiful careers, great homes, and cars, and everything, and they're bleeding. They are bleeding. And is that how we want to look? At ourselves? Is that how we want our children to? Yeah, great mom, but
0: man, she is a
1: miserable chick,
0: right? (laughs) No. She's always grumpy, always tired. Well, I will tell you as turnabout fair play. So I had one of mine, I've had many over my years, like where I wake up and go, this isn't right anymore, right? I mean, it's an, and I can't argue with it. It's like this interior knowing. Mm -hmm. And there's no point rationalizing. It's like I'm going, some light bulb went off and it said, pay attention, a shift is coming. The first couple of times it happened, I just ignored it. But then the shift came and I went, hmm, pay attention. So over in your neck of the woods camping, this has been five, maybe five years ago. I'm cramming work. We're out on the beach, terrible cell signal it's dry camping, so I don't have a gen, I mean, I have a generator, but we're not going to run it all the time, I'm, I am on deadline for projects, I'm having to write, anyway, my husband said, I thought you were going to be able to take some time off, I said, yeah, yeah, And he says, okay, right, so I'm, you know, I'm squeezing in the walking the dogs, all this stuff, but I'm getting up early, and I'm, it's not really much different, so I come home, and I'm thinking, okay, I pulled it off, I'm going to have all my work done, and I'm exhausted, right, because I'm, trying to do these dual things and I said honey did you have a good time and he he just looked at me and I could tell he was in this debate like did he should he be honest or not and because he's a he's a brutally honest man he will defend me to the hilt and at the same time um, if I ask a question which he's told me years ago he says if you don't want an answer you should never ask anyone a question I mean he's retired law enforcement he says you don't ask a question (laughs) unless you want to know the answer, or you already know the answer. And I said, so did you have a good time? And he just paused, and he looked at me, and he said, honestly, no, I didn't. He's never told me that before. And he said, I just feel like you weren't there. We should have stayed here. It would have been okay for you to say, I can't go, right? But I'd made these commitments. And it was in that moment, I thought, I'm done. A shift has to happen now, because I can't, I wanted to be the person I had promised to be, and I was letting myself down. that's i he could be disappointed he would get over it, but I wasn't the person I knew I should be and should show up as for myself and so right then it was like I thought, okay, it won't be today, like you're saying it doesn't have to happen overnight, but the change starts today in these tiny ways and and from that point forward, it just got more clear and clear and clear but Oh man, sometimes those are little painful awakenings, you know, or looking at your images on your photography and I'm not going to be that woman.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And how you're right. Those epiphanies can be powerfully painful. And the idea is use the epiphany, use the pain as a sign that something's not right. Don't ignore it. Just like you did. The pain became the impetus for change. So notice the pain, right? Hey, this is painful. My husband didn't have, you know, a good time with me because I was working.
0: I wasn't there.
1: (laughs) You weren't present, and that's the part where, if we really learn that and don't shame ourselves. Don't belittle ourselves for having gotten stuck somewhere, but using that energy instead of shaming ourselves and blaming ourselves, use that energy to go. Oh, well, cool! Now I get to do something different. Right. Now I get to change it up one step at a time.
0: In fact, had he blamed me or shamed me, I would have. I would have just dug my heels in and went. Oh, it's your problem, because <laughs> because <laughs> I'm a little stubborn that way. I have a request of you as we wrap this interview. Would you? You know, you have a personal message, on, uh, which is a poem, that you have on your website. Do you know it? Do you know what I'm referring to? I know
1: what you're talking about, about, about stepping into your light. Yes. Yes.
0: Do you know that? Do you have it handy?
1: I can get it, really. I
0: would love for you, if you would read that for us, and then... We'll talk a little bit more about how folks can find your book and all of that. But I just really thought when I read that, it said not only about who you were, but your hope for the world.
1: Okay, here it is. May you always remember your innate beauty and the treasures that lie within you. May you walk toward your own true light with unwavering integrity. When challenges face you, as they assuredly will throughout life. May you meet them with courage that stems from your extraordinary inner strength. When you doubt or feel alone, trust that there are others who will support you and guide you when you call out. May you always remember that you are here for a purpose, and every day of your life you have the incredible opportunity to be true to yourself. May your life be filled with wisdom, with the light of love, integrity, peace, and wisdom.
0: That's it. That's beautiful. So here's my last request for today of yes. you. <laughs> Not forever. I always <laughs> I always leave that door open. If you, as doc- Dr. Carla today, were to meet yourself at 10, mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself about going forward that might help you when you are facing some big decisions?
1: I would tell her... You are precious. You are beautiful. Always stay true to yourself. Because that is the most important thing. And when you stay true to yourself, to what is right and true for you, you can never go wrong. And when you're coming from a place of love, love for yourself and love for your others, everything will work out okay. That's what I would
0: tell her. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. We should tell all our little people inside that, even when we're grown up.
1: I agree with you. I volunteer once a week at a drug and alcohol rehab center teaching meditation. And I always take time. I do a guided meditation to go in and have them do a little bit of that work with their inner child. Just do like a little pause because that little child, that inner child, often just gets told, you're not important. So yeah, it's that pausing and nourishing, that sense that you're you're worth it. You're you're worth it. You're worth being good and kind to yourself.
0: Okay, so now I want to encourage folks to go out and find your book. Do you have a favorite place you want them to go to get your book?
1: Um, What I would say, I'm a big believer in local bookstores. So if you call your local bookstore and they don't have it or have run out of it, they can have it in two or three days. So I always encourage people, please go to your local bookstore, buy local, buy local when you can. Then, if, if you must, click Amazon. It is on Amazon. It is on barnesandnoble.com. But I do believe in the other part about our, our independent bookstores, it's a chance to talk to people. Yeah. It's a chance to interface, to give somebody a hug, to you know share that light. So that's one of the other reasons
0: okay so your local bookstore and maybe your local bookstore is also also a coffee shop how nice is that then you can drink coffee and read so and it's called joy from fear yes by dr carla manley so folks you can find her she's on the web we're also going to have all of her links in the notes to this show so it won't be hard to find her but i do encourage you to go get her book um, and also check her out, because I think there's some really cool things to learn. And with that, I in, in true gratitude for our time together today, thank you for being a guest.
1: Thank you for having me. I am also in a place of deep gratitude. It was like talking to a Somebody in my kula. <laughs> so you
0: know. yeah. Very cool. Very, Very cool. Good. All right. Thank you.
1: Take good care.
0: Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you liked what you heard, and if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no-labels, no-limits, and no-excuses life.